And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It's Tuesday. It's August 10th, the year of our Lord, 2021. How jam-packed are we? Well, you have got a podcast coming from me in some shape, form, or fashion every day of the week now. Well, at least Monday through Friday. Jordan has to take a break at some point. I'm told that's a regulation mandated by U.S. law. So we will allow him to do that. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there is something new for you here as you know, we have gone to three weeks, as we call them, three nights a week, Late Kick Live, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday night, over on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Of course, you get a replay of that via podcast the next morning, but I have listened. You have spoken loud and clear. We're keeping both mailbag episodes every week. So every Tuesday, every Thursday, you're going to get somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour's worth of wall-to-wall Q&A, joshpate706 at gmail.com if you want to submit a question there. Also, Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. Here's something that's interesting that's been happening. Some of you have actually been submitting questions, but you don't follow me. And I'm not saying I'm hurt. Well, hold on a second. If I tell you it hurts, will that change your mind and have you follow me? If you're nodding your head yes, it hurt. Listen, did you hear that? I'm clutching my chest right now. It hurts me, at LateKickJosh, Twitter, Instagram. There are many reasons why we need to grow those accounts. Many reasons. The least of which is I want to feel more popular. Of course, that always helps. But there are several reasons why it helps us. Helps us to keep the show free. It helps us attract the necessary attention that we need to keep the show free. And so you guys can help. Also, we have a lot of fun over there. It's not like I just tweet out links and nothing more. In fact... If you're following me on Instagram, you already got a major heads up yesterday as to one of the huge announcements we have coming. What is it? I don't know. I can't tell you yet, but I sure could show you last night. So for those of you who were sent a lot more weird than it was, uh, those of you who were following me on Instagram at Late Kick Josh, you saw that. The rest of you will find out in due time. I think it's a couple of weeks away, probably maybe a week, two weeks away. So it's going to be fun. I will say that it's going to be fun, as is the mailbag this morning. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive in. Actually, this isn't wasted time, but I wanted to say one more thing. When I was doing the show the other night, or if you listen to it the next day on pod, you heard me mention the family of Spence Dalton. That's a first responder, a, a firefighter EMS out of Oconee County. It's in Georgia. It's in northern Georgia. Beautiful portion of the state. But what happened to Spence Dalton was terrible. So in June, they were responding to a downed tree. And they're cutting the tree down and trying to get it off the road so traffic can go through. And a driver hit him and stopped momentarily, but then sped off. Now, as I told you on the show the other night, they caught the driver. So this isn't an update on a manhunt in northern Georgia. But Spence Dalton was tore up really bad, and they've needed help on medical bills. So the other night, I gave a simple call to action. I knew it was not going to take more than once, and I was right. You guys came through. I got an email the next morning. They had a massive surge in donations. I retweeted it one more time. If you want to contribute, because the medical bills are very steep here, and this is, as is the case with the vast majority of us, not a family that's ready to just incur six-figure expenses in the medical field and not feel it. So they don't need to because we can help them out. We helped out our friends down on the Gulf Coast last year with the hurricanes and a lot of you remained anonymous when you did that. A lot of you have chosen to do that again. I don't care what you choose to do. I just care that you choose to help. And I thank so much of you. So if you're looking to help, you can find that link. I put it out on Twitter the other night. And it's going to be there a couple of times in my feed. But uh, the Dalton family and friends, they wanted me to express to you their ultra sincere in all caps appreciation. So if you want to know what makes this show a little bit different than maybe an average show out there, well, that's one of the aspects. That's called community. It's not just a show. That's called community. So I appreciate you guys doing that. All right, let's roll into the mailbag this morning. Edwin is going to get us cranked up. He said, how well is the ACC situated right now? 
Obviously, they aren't as powerful as the SEC or Big Ten, but they're clearly in better shape than the Big 12, aren't they? Since they don't seem all that interested in expanding beyond the possibility of Notre Dame, and the conference has notoriously been a one-horse show recently, is there a danger they could weaken their position by lack of action and possibly have Clemson or other prominent programs jump ship out of the ACC to be poached by another conference, like maybe the Big Ten or the SEC? Edwin, this is something that was talked about and very much feared just this time last week. I did not necessarily share that sentiment, and I don't share that sentiment. I don't think that there is a crippling amount of concern in the ACC right now. I do not think they're in danger of losing Clemson. I do not think they're in danger of losing Florida State, at least in the immediate future. Grant of rights is something that's boring to talk about. You probably heard the phrase, but you haven't bothered to research it yourself. Not you, Edwin. Anyone out there with a life. It ties those programs down for quite a while. I'll also say there's been talk about West Virginia. Uh, our Bud Elliott here has actually spoken about this at length on several different platforms. And I think what he has said about it is dead on the money. From a pure football fan standpoint, you probably look at West Virginia, and I include myself here because I feel this way. I look at West Virginia and I think, would that add a solid athletic department, a perennially committed to winning and excellence and investment athletic department to the ACC? If the answer is yes, I would love to see him add him. Well, the answer is yes, but I don't think they're looking to add West Virginia because obviously from a more dollars and cents business market share, whatever standpoint, it doesn't quite make as much sense. All forms of sense have been used in this sentence now. And so I don't think there are additions outside of Notre Dame, obviously being the unicorn out there, that are coming. Having said that, are they in a situation to weaken themselves? No, I think they're in a position to strengthen themselves. Edwin, you mentioned it. You hit the nail on the head. This has been a one-horse race or a one-tiger race for far too long. So everyone can talk about how weak the ACC has been, and I'm not going to disagree, but I would counter with this. What's more likely over the next five years? That North Carolina, Miami, Florida State, you can go up and down the East Coast, Virginia Tech, all these programs remain inferior on a national level, or at least one, if not two or three of them, end up resurrecting themselves, getting their recruiting on track, getting their house in order, and end up really being a big-time player on the national stage. I think the latter is a lot more likely. If we just ran raw statistical models on this, I think the latter is far more likely. And so with that being said, I think the ACC is in a good position to possibly strengthen itself by sitting still and looking in the mirror instead of out the window. And so I don't necessarily think there's anything to be overly concerned about right now, Edwin. I also think, and I believe if you look across the nation at this moment, you can tell a lot of people have indeed leaned back in the chair, breathed a little sigh of relief, and they believe what was once feared to be a realignment tsunami, at least for the time being, was merely a rogue wave. And the Texas OU rogue wave came through, but there hasn't been any more movement, and I know there may be suspicions, but I don't get the sense there are a lot of smoke-filled backroom handshake deals going on right now that we'll find out about later down the line. I could be wrong there, but if I'm wrong there, several big-time involved athletic directors are also wrong, and I just don't think they are. I don't think there's much going on right now, but again, we're trying to see around the corner here, and that's it's hard to see around the corner week to week sometimes when you're talking about this specific topic. Kyle is next up. What a doozy this is. Have you watched season two of Outer Banks? If so, would love to hear your predictions, thoughts for season three. I assume most of you know why this question is being included on a college football podcast. 
It's not just because they play football in that portion of the country. Uh, But for those of you unfamiliar, because I was looking at our numbers yesterday, and we added another couple of thousand downloads per episode, so we have several new listeners every single show we put out now. Welcome to the party, firstly. Secondly, you need to know something. You need to know that my name is indeed Josh Pate, and I do indeed work in a front-facing aspect in the media landscape in the United States of America. I'm not exactly Brad Pitt, but in another sense, hey, we both appear on TV screens sometimes. So in that sense, Brad and I, we share a commonality. <coughs> oh, asbestos. I hope Brad's doing better than I am right now. <coughs> Jordan, we can leave it in. Hold on, let me take a little, little swig of uh, super cold brew, 250 milligram caffeine here. Yes, nothing nothing rids yourself of a raspy voice quite like drinking legal gasoline. So anyway, back to my original point. If you are indeed new to the show and you're still around after that ratchetness, yes, my name's Josh Pate. However, I am not the Josh Pate. And I want to stress this again for those in the back or those who may have been paying attention elsewhere and now you've zoned in. I am not the Josh Pate that created and directed and produced the show on Netflix, Outer Banks. Solid show. I will vouch for the quality of the show. I cannot, however, confirm, and in fact, I can unequivocally deny that I'm the guy who created the show. Well, friends, the problem is the crowd that watches Outer Banks, in a lot of cases, does not listen to college football podcasting or watch college football on YouTube, and therefore they have not heard me say this. And since the Josh Pate who created this show apparently is a pariah and doesn't really have a social presence and doesn't have his own Twitter account, people take it upon themselves to assume I am him. And as you have seen, again, if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I've kind of been having fun with it. My inbox has been a Category 5 disaster zone over the past month now that Season 2 has been released of Outer Banks on Netflix of people sending me everything from complaints to plot lines to me being anti-LGBTQ because I haven't involved enough gay characters in the show. This is not a joke. I am dead serious with you. This is happening every day in my inbox. Am I a victim? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I am a victim. So this is a very first world problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. So circling back to the question that Kyle just asked, I've been so preoccupied with whack-a-mole and blocking people in my DMs talking about season two that no, Kyle, I have not myself been able to watch season two. However, I do have buddies texting me about it constantly, telling me how good a job I did on the show. So this is something I'm going to have to wear around my ankle from now until eternity, or at least until that show ends. Fortunately, it's a good show. And on a related note, if anyone in the Outer Banks area, because I don't know what the high school situation is up there, but if there is a high school up there with the name Outer Banks in the title whatsoever, I need the merch. DM me. I'll give you the address. Actually, on second thought, I'll give you the office address because knowing what my DM situation has been like lately, the last thing I want to be doing in there is giving out my home address. So I'll give you the office address. No one cares if you bombard the office. But I need some Outer Banks paraphernalia, merch, whatever the case may be. Thank you. That concludes our Outer Banks review of today. Thank you, Kyle. Let's go to Bennett. Yeah, this is a good one here. He said, has Dan Mullen underachieved at Florida? Why does it feel like this program has failed to reach the next step and is typically viewed as less than Georgia, despite beating the dogs on a regular basis? What's holding the Gators back from being elite? Well, first things first, Dan Mullen has not regularly beaten Georgia. He's done it one time. Now, it was the most important time because it's the most recent time. Uh, The second part about feeling inferior to Georgia or that being the perception, well, that's tied into recruiting. 
And to that point, I would agree. I think Georgia has the superior program to Florida now. But when we start talking about this, this is nebulous. First off, when you say Georgia's got the superior program, we're not talking a five-touchdown gap or anything like that. And secondly, programs don't play on the field. Teams play on the field. If we define program, like I do at least, as a three-year rolling snapshot, or maybe if you want to a four-year rolling snapshot of what your overall brand looks like, then yes, Georgia has the superior brand. They've won more over that time period. They've recruited better over that time period. But guess what? All that was true going into last year's game. Did it matter? No. Uh, Florida was rolling them at halftime, and they ended up beating them soundly. And so what I would do if I were a Florida fan is, my same advice to any fan base, stop worrying about what the rest of the country feels about you. The only time that matters is if it bleeds into recruiting. And if recruits out there are thinking the same thing about you, well, that's why you're not doing this for charity. You're doing this as a profession and getting paid a lot of money to alter that, whether it's on the field performance or whether you're just that good in the living room or whether you slowly but surely sell prospects on the fact that whatever the external is, is the external, but here's what we're selling internally. They used to say this stuff about Clemson all the time. Dabo Swinney got it turned around. Dabo finally got it corrected. And I have not heard anyone use the phrase or the term Clemsoning in quite a while. So if they're saying this stuff about Florida, then stop it. Because no one says it about Alabama. No one says it about Clemson now. And these are programs that once upon a time were nothing to write home about. Ohio State, you know, I was reading an email, a really good viewer email last night. It was very lengthy, but he was talking about Ohio State and what perception today is of that program versus what it was. And he was right, and he said there is a long stretch, if you look at the history of Ohio State back in the mid-2000s, early, mid-late 2000s, where the perception of Ohio State was that's a good, solid program, but they lack elite speed. They will get smoked when they go up against the big boys from the South because it kept happening and kept happening and kept happening, and they would get on a big stage and they would not win on the big stage. And so that was the perception nationally. Ohio State's a good Big Ten school, but they are not a national power because no one fears them nationally. Well, you know what people feel when they line up against Ohio State? Now ask Oregon how much they're looking forward to playing Ohio State in week two. They're looking forward to the challenge. But an Oregon fan, how confident are you that you can go in there and win? Not a ton of confidence. You've got a puncher's chance, but there wouldn't be budding confidence that I'm going to bet next week's paycheck on us on the money line. No, there's not because the perception's changed. Perception changed because things changed. Reality changed. So I would, I would advise you not to worry about it. But if you are worried about it, let me tell you what could change this more so than anything. What could change it is watching all of the reasons that people think Florida won because of walk out the door, namely guys like Kyle Pitts or Kyle Trask, have them walk out the door, that wide receiver talent gone to, and then beat Georgia again this year. Beat a Georgia team that many people, including myself, thinks is the closest thing to a national championship caliber product that Kirby Smart's put on the field. They think that about Georgia. Most of the nation does. Most of the nation thinks you'll be down relative to what you were last year. Beat them anyway. Then you got a two-year streak going against them, and you've beaten them when hardly anyone thought it was possible. And then talk to me. Because all of a sudden, I think the tune would change. You would, you would hear a considerable change about how people view Florida football. It's easy and it's difficult. It's easy to say it. It's difficult to do it. But to address what the original question was, I don't think Dan Mullen's underachieved there at all. This is his fourth year there. He has gone 10-3, and 11-2, and 8-4 last year, and we'll see what he does this year. But also, let's remember, 
He went eight and four last year, but he did beat Georgia. He did win the East. Now I know the season didn't end like anyone would want it to, but no, that's not underachievement. Underachievement is why he was there to begin with. Florida went four and seven in 2017. That's underachievement. I don't think he's underachieved. I mean, unless you define underachievement as not being in the playoff every year, then most of the most of the big boys in the country are underachieving. I think Dan Mullen's done a really good job down there. It, there is room for improvement, but that's good news. When I can tell you I don't think you've underachieved, but there's also significant room for you to improve, well, that means you probably have elite ceiling on you. Certainly, this is directly tied to an improvement in the recruiting apparatus down there, which is what we're all waiting on. But no, I don't think he's underachieved. But yeah, there is room to grow still. Kyle, up next, do you think the opportunity for any team in the Power Five to propel to the top exists in the modern structure? For instance, take Clemson. It's a small town in South Carolina. Until the last five or six years, they've been a good program, but not elite. Then all of a sudden, they propelled to elite tier one status and recruit at an elite level now. Do you think this is possible for other programs that don't have historical success to do something like this? This is an excellent question. What I don't think is possible is to do what Bobby Bowden did once upon a time, which is take a program that's an afterthought nationally, not even a blip on the radar screen, and take them to national prominence. I mean, take them to the very pinnacle of the sport. I do not believe that's possible because I think we've had such a hockey stick effect of the haves versus the have-nots in this sport that I don't believe the canyon is crossable. I think there is a canyon, a detachment even, if you will, that the top of the sport has taken from even the mid-tier, much less the bottom tier of the sport, to where I don't think that's a canyon you can cross. Like building that bridge across that canyon is probably an insurmountable task. Having said that, could you be a very good, solid, you can always count on a lot of passion from the fan base, there's full investment, there's full buy-in, there's no mistaking what they take serious and what their priorities are. Now, have they ever flashed on the national scene? Have they been a perennial player in the playoff picture? No, they haven't yet. But what are we looking at? We're looking at potential upside. And maybe you've got to be situated geographically in a spot where you have pretty good access to one or multiple recruiting pipelines, and then you're in the right conference. Yes, if you fit those parameters, then yes, I still think that that is in the cards today. I'll take their neighbors in their own state, South Carolina. This is going to sound absurd right now. There is nothing stopping South Carolina from this point moving forward to eventually ascending to the level that their in-state neighbor, Clemson, is. Different conference makes it a lot more treacherous a path for them scheduling-wise. I know that, but there's a trade-off there, folks. There's a trade-off in that the check you're going to cash at the end of the year because of having that SEC sticker on your helmet makes it all worth it. Now, I think some fans are tired of hearing that. I think you're tired of hearing how much money your team brings in because they're affiliated with a conference where they get their brains beat in four or five times a year. Well, I understand why you'd be tired of that, but don't think for a second it doesn't matter. And with the way the money has grown in the sport, here's how you should look at it. If I were a South Carolina fan, if I were an Arkansas fan, Here's how I think about it. Have we contended for the SEC title down here? Really, we haven't. We've been in the conversation. We've played for it, but we haven't won it, and we're not in the conversation right now. Certainly have not been on the precipice of making the playoff. What has separated us? Well, there's a gap in resource, obviously. Now I want you to think about the massive infusion of money that is coming for the SEC. On one hand, an economist could tell you, well, yes, you're going to make a lot more money, but the big boys at the table are also going to make that much more money. And so realistically, the gap between South Carolina and Alabama is not going to close any. And that's true. 
but we're not talking about the gap between South Carolina and Alabama. We're zooming out and we're looking nationally. We're talking about the gap between South Carolina and Clemson, for example. We're talking about the gap between South Carolina and Penn State. This is the way we should look at this because here's where I think we're headed. Imagine if you have a swimming pool in your backyard. Swimming pool, let's say it holds 20,000 gallons of water. And let's say one pool has 13,000 gallons in it and the other pool has 20,000 gallons in it. Well, which pool is it easier to swim in? Which pool is it much safer to dive in? Well, obviously the one with 20,000 gallons in it because it's all the way full. Now I want you to imagine this. Same two pools. One of them had 13. One of them was full at 20,000. Let's add four gallons of water to both pools. Now we've got what? Well, in the first pool, we've got 17,000 gallons. How much water do we have in the second pool? That's the trick question. We had 20,000 gallons. We add 4,000 gallons of water to the pool. How much do we have now? The answer is we still have 20,000 gallons. So we added the same amount to each pool, but a gap closed. And the gap closed because pool B was already as full as it could get. That is where I think some of the money figures in college football are headed. There's only so much you can invest in a college football program. It's like the swimming pool. For a long time, we were comparing college football programs, and one of the pools had 17,000 gallons in it, and one had 6,000. And you could see the gap. And eventually, the Bamas of the world got themselves to 20,000 gallons. But I think in the future, these dollar figures are going to get so much bigger that you think, well, what are they going to do? Build a NASA space station in Tuscaloosa? No. The reality is... What it takes to invest in a college football program and the maximum capacity you could be operating at as a college football program is already virtually met in a few places in the country. Their pool is full. It's at the 20,000-gallon limit. Uh, That's a figure once thought impossible. 10,000 gallons in your college football pool used to be absurd. And you used to look at 20,000 gallons and say, well, the sport will never get there. Well, we're there. And now we're going to the next step. So the path for South Carolina and programs like that in the future is let's hope that the added TV money has a net effect of closing this gap because some of these programs are already so flush with cash that they're overflowing with it. They've already invested to a maximum capacity. This is helping us close the gap on them. That's what you have to hope. So I think, yes, to answer the question, Kyle, this prospect is in the cards Who's going to take advantage of it? Because even if you got the money, even if you got the resources, there are a lot of programs out there with full pools of resource that suck. They can't win on the field. So what does it mean? Well, it means it takes more than money. That's what it means. You have to properly invest it, properly spend it, properly hire first and foremost, and then the rest of the dominoes tend to fall accordingly. Dylan's got a question up next about quarterbacks and about NIL. Quinn Ewers has been a big headline grabber right now, leaving his senior year of high school, to enroll at Ohio State early. And there are some people who are scared, well, that's just going to start happening coast to coast. And there there are other people who are aggravated because they feel like the state could have been more proactive in passing new NIL legislation and maybe kept him home. What is the future of all this stuff? I'll discuss it right after this. So Dylan asks, with Quinn Ewers coming to Ohio State a year early, does this put pressure on states like Texas to reevaluate NIL for high school athletes, or does this begin a wave of reclassification of sought-after athletes to get to college earlier? And if you're unfamiliar with this story, Quinn Ewers was our number one quarterback prospect for the 2023 cycle. Well, he was going to be a senior in high school this year. He just decided, I'm leaving high school. I'm going to reclassify, and I'm going to Ohio State. 
and he can now cash in on NIL deals. And the whole hangup was the current rules in Texas would not allow him to do it. He could not profit as an athlete, as a high school athlete at least. And so that's been the big rub because this is so new and legislation moves at a notoriously snail's pace that, and that's not always a bad thing, by the way, uh, but it's, it's the way it is. And so since things are changing so rapidly, it's the same way as sports betting is. Back home in Georgia, I can't pick up my eye, Josh, and bet on a game. But when I get here to Nashville, I can do it no problem. And so in some cases, you got folks standing within eyeballs distance of their neighbors, and one lives over in one state, one lives in another state, and they're living under different betting laws. Well, NIL is the same way. Now, 10 years from now, there will be consistency probably across the board, just like with sports betting. 10 years from now, every state will have legalized sports betting, but it's going to take inordinate amount of times at one place versus another place. So yes, Dylan, I think it's going to I do think it's going to bring a push that probably would be more sudden than it would have otherwise. But is it going to lead to a wave of reclassification? Now, this I'm interested in because Quinn Ewers is not the case study here. Quinn Ewers is a transcendent athlete. He's a guy who actually has that kind of brand value built into himself already, even as a high school kid. Those are very few and far between. Now, that doesn't mean I couldn't be a five-star running back and skip my senior year and probably make $3,500, $7,500. I could probably do that. I, when we're talking about big-time money here, though, and we're also talking about the ability to, as what should be a high school senior, walk onto a college campus at Ohio State and actually make people ask, ooh, I wonder if he's going to take the starting job from what is universally renowned as the most loaded quarterback room in the country. What I'm saying is I don't know if I would predict this to be a wave. Now, it could happen at the quarterback spot maybe, but I don't know if this is going to be a wave necessarily. What I think will happen is I think states will adjust and they'll realize we don't want this to be a wave. So let's proactively get in front of this and allow that kind of thing at the high school level since they're allowing it at the college level. You know, what's the difference at this point anyway? And I think, Dylan, ultimately, yeah, we're going to see a lot of movement in that. Let's go to Cam next. This is a good question here. It's one that a lot of you are always curious about and you get precious few answers on it. So let me try and give you an answer. Cam says, I've always been curious about how recruiting works behind the scenes. How many people are actually evaluating players? Does it change by position? I normally check out the 24-7 composite for general consensus on a player, but I'm curious how a guy could be the 13th ranked quarterback for one organization and the number 81 quarterback for another. Are all the agencies considering NFL potential as the key to the ranking? Or are there separate camp showings playing heavily into the ratings? And that's from Cam. So I think this is a case-by-case basis, Cam. The way it works here, I can't comment because I haven't worked anywhere else. The way I know it works here is you have a recruiting council. So you got several guys on that council. Uh, Some are regional. Some are even more hyper-focused into a state scene. But they all come together weekly. And they're continually evaluating what the rankings are in-house, let's say, for the 2022 cycle. Uh, Right now, it's a little unique because you're getting eyes on kids in some cases that you haven't been able to see because of COVID protocol for like a year and a half. But in a normal cycle, you know, you'll be coming out of the camp season right now and you'll be going into fall practice season for those players. And so you're trying to get good evals on them. You've spent the entire summer talking to staffs. You've been on the road. Our recruiting staff's been on the road an insane amount of time this summer trying to get their eyes on as many guys as possible. And so you're acquiring Obviously, a lot of in-person eyeball on repetition, but then also you are getting feedback from as many people as possible. And what that recruiting council does is they'll just start going to battle with each other and they'll start really dissecting 
why we think this quarterback should be 13th versus 17th. Like, what does he bring to the table that these two don't? And it can get a little contentious and heated. That's a good thing for you, ultimately, the consumer, because you get the most thoroughly vetted reaction to players. You get the most thoroughly vetted product, I would say. That doesn't make it perfect. What is a perfect recruiting product? Uh, But yes, to answer your question, thinking forward to future NFL draftability, that's the way, especially at the top end, that a lot of guys are rated. And the reason that is the case, I haven't always been totally crazy about that concept myself, but I'm not on the council, so it doesn't matter. But I know what the methodology behind it was and is. And that is, what is the truest test out there? Think about it if you were putting it together. What is the truest test, free of bias, three or four years down the road, to look back on your rankings, your all your five-star kids, one through 32, and decide whether you were right or not? Well, it's the NFL draft. Now, that in and of itself is nowhere close to a perfect system. But out of the other systems that you could choose, it's the one that's the most bias-free. It's the most honest and fair because the NFL you know, draft is just taking the best players. They don't really care if you went to Alabama or you went to Alcorn State. They're taking the best players. But Cam, it really varies. There are some guys whose film just stands out to you and you don't really even care what they look like in a camp. Maybe they got some bad weight on them. You know, maybe they don't look toned like they live in the weight room, but they're just they're They shine when the lights come on on Friday night. And that's a film guy. And some guys get their lofty grade because of that. Other guys are just freaks in camp. And maybe that's where you see them and you get enamored with them. And so they get a lofty rating because of that. Point being, there are many different different methods of evaluation. I'm a believer you should have as many tools at your disposal as possible. And that's what our recruiting council does. Now, you ask, how could a 24-7 grade differ with that of, let's say, Rivals.com? It's just because it's opinion. It's an opinion game. I don't think that's a bad thing, by the way. What I would be more concerned about, and I remember when I first got here, sitting in one of the first meetings first meetings I was at in 24-7, there was some yelling back and forth. And the yelling was because it was observed that there was too much uniformity and opinion on recruiting. And there was too much of an agreement across the board. And the consensus was there's no possible way that 10 people can see a high school kid the exact same way. There's got to be a lot more variance in opinion. So when, Cam, you look at variance in opinion, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it's a sign of anti-groupthink. I think it's a sign that there are a number of individual informed opinions being weighted here And at the end of the day, you know, in high school, there may have been a girl that my buddy thought was beautiful. And I said, eh. And then I thought that about another girl. And he thought, eh, it's just opinion. That's all it is. You may love sushi. I do too. Uh, My mom back home would just as soon jump off a cliff as eat a roll of sushi. It's all opinion. The thing that you would need to worry about a lot more is when there's just broad consensus that a kid is the number one kid in the country, the number 11 kid in the country, because that looks like everyone just remembered to do the assignment the night before and everyone copied each other. And that's what I don't think you want in this game at all. All right, I know I told a lot of you via email that I was going to get to your questions and I still have a bunch of them to get to, so we'll roll those over to Thursday. Thank you again so much. Remember, we got Late Kick Live tonight. Remember to follow me, Twitter, Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. The show is blowing up and now the season's here. So you can only imagine the mushroom cloud that we want right over that brand, Late Kick. Could be a good logo idea. On second thought, probably not. We'll leave it as is. Until this evening, for producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless. Mm -hmm.